So, what questions tonight? Yes. Um, I have two questions. Uh, one is, I don't remember where I read it, but I'm pretty sure it was somewhere in Bhagavatam. Uh, and I don't remember if it was verse or Shilakamitada's uh, purpose, but um, there was sentence say, saying that um, people who destroy faith of common people uh, are acting demoniacally. Could you maybe comment on it? I don't remember exact quote. I couldn't find it. Well, um, people who destroy faith... Um, common people, what is their faith in? Um, it, uh, it's a rather um, odd statement. I probably aren't remembering it correctly, but um, obviously if people have faith in, that arises from Tamagun, Rajagun, Sattvagun, we would like to, in one sense, destroy it, but replace it with divine faith. Hmm? Um, and so that said I'm only kind of making conjecture as to answer a question that in my um, um, memory well I'm replying to a, to a quote that I don't think exists but um, so, uh, so uh, let's say it's one thing. Uh, this is the position of the devotees. They have, if they have transcendental faith, then they, they're going to share that naturally. Hmm? And um, people naturally do share their faith, and they, in a sense, as I often say, they are their faith. Their movements correspond with their faith, and so forth. So, by association, faith is contagious. Hmm? And so, if we have transcendental faith, which is faith in Krishna, faith in bhakti, then we have, just by our very nature, um, expressing that in everything that we do and so forth, we um, have the potential to override the faith of others that arises out of the influence of the, of the gunas, of the modes of nature. Hmm? Um, And so there's no restriction, if you will, on devotees in advancing their faith. It's unavoidable, as I say. They express their faith in everything they do. They should be living um, examples of their faith. Indeed, we, we will be. The measure of our faith is always going to show up in our actions, our thoughts, the way we conduct ourselves, and so forth. And the standard, really, of devotion set by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was such that, that his devotees should be able to convert others, if you will, to, to upgrade their faith from a sattvic, rajasic, or tamasic faith to a, to a nirgun, a transcendental faith, just by their example. And that means even not just the yatis, the renunciates, but the household devotees as well. Prabhupada had a standard, for example, in his mind, that um, if you meet someone, you make acquaintance with them, then as a devotee you invite them home to your house for dinner. It sounds odd. Yeah, perhaps people don't do that. <laughs> meet somebody on the street, say, why don't you come over for dinner? Um, you know, people have to get to know people more and so on and so forth. See, the industrial society kind of separates people from one another that much more and isolates us, puts us in a greater, arguably, existential crisis which hinders our ability to move freely and happily amongst one another and so forth. Um, so his frame of reference, of course, is, is India in, in more agrarian-based times and so forth. This was the, the, the standard. And people didn't have all kinds of other things to do. And, and, and the technology was not developed to the extent that it made people, it, it, people are required to move faster 
and have less time. As you know, instruments of um, technology are meant to make life easier and, and save you more time, but they they often work to the opposite effect and have us moving that much faster and that many more things to do and so forth. So, without all of that, a quieter kind of and more agrarian-based culture that Prabhupada experienced um, growing up in, in India and so forth. You'd meet someone, you'd chat, and invite them over, and then make them over and spend the night at your place, and talk about things and so forth. It's more more common. You might meet someone on the train, get off at the same station, and invite him over. So Prabhupada said that his household disciples should <laughs> meet people and then you know, and, and then invite them over, and and then ask him to stay a few days. And after three days of just living with you in your house and seeing your example and so forth, they they want to become devotees, also. Mm-hmm. So that we should live our faith. Indeed, we do live our faith. So. Mm. Um, it is, as I say, the animating principle in life, citing the Gita, Shadhoyam Purusha, a person is their, their faith. So it's unavoidable. Faith is contagious. And if you have this kind of faith in living sense, the extent that you do, well, it, yeah, it's, it's going to affect others in a positive way, and it's going to destroy their faith in, uh, that arises, as it may, out of the gunas. Mm, not divine faith. Mm. That said, there is a um, statement in the scriptures with regard to the jnanis. They are not to disturb the faith mm, of those who don't have knowledge and are, in the classical context of the Gita, moving under the karmic um, prescriptions and responsibilities of the Varnashram. In other words, there was a social society that different people had different duties, responsibilities, and so forth, and they were working, um, moving in pursuit of material betterment, good good karma, hmm? a bountiful, happy material life by coloring their human life, shading it, in consideration of, of of God, godly powers, powers beyond themselves, the sense that they were not independent, and that the senses and their power to do anything, which are our instruments, were dependent on various manifestations of nature. For example, our power of sight is dependent upon light. Light comes from the sun. So there was an acknowledgement, a recognition in that system of the sun, Dependent on the sun, for speech, and dependent upon the air, wind. So there was regard for the wind, for the sun, and, and so forth. And the result was there was a sense of, of that I am a dependent entity, hmm? not that I am an independent, do whatever I want, and it's my thing, I do it as I like, and very different thinking and so forth. So it's a general God-conscious idea in the carrot, if you will. Carrot means the prize hmm, for restricting oneself in life in those ways by not just doing whatever your senses want. Hmm, was the uh, idea that there would be material rewards, rewards of good karma, hmm, better life in the future, happier life in the present, and so on and so forth. So. Um, such persons moving in that way, the Gita says, into moving in terms of their faith, should not be disturbed in terms of their faith by the jnanis, whose teaching is, this is all a waste of time. You're not the body. Hmm? Um, even if you go to heaven, you have to again come down. Hmm? And they kind of rain on the party. Hmm? It's a nice party. We, we worship the gods and the goddesses and God, 
and so forth, and got a happy family, and this and that, everything's, you know, good, and the Gandhis come and say, you're wasting your time, this is all, um, uh, constitutes bondage, ultimately, and they give the bigger picture, and so on and so forth, um, and disturb their faith. So the Gita mandates, Gyani should not disturb the faith of the karmis. Because the idea is they are attached to the fruits of their activity and material acquisition and so forth. And so to try to give them knowledge in the face of their attachment they'll have some negative reaction towards the knowledge. It's too much all at once. So there's this in-between, right, where they they continue with their... There's the instead of sakama karma, there's nishkama karma. Instead of moving with a desire for the fruits of one's actions, continue with your actions, get the fruits, but develop some detachment from them. So this is kind of a... In between karma and jnana is niskam karma. There's some karma in it, there's some jnana in it. Hmm? Something like that. So anyway, there is this mandate. Jnana should not... The why should not disturb the minds of those fruitive workers that are attached. Hmm? So this is the only thing I could think of that resembles what you're, what you're, what you're talking about. The idea that you should not destroy the faith of others, and that this is counter can be counterproductive, and so forth. That same mandate, that said, does not apply to the devotees, hmm? and the reason for that is that that the devotional um, teaching and understanding is more um, robust, and um, and it includes well a very more robust sense of the self. Of all of the schools, of transcendental schools, if you take the school of Gyan, especially in its form of Advaita, if you take yoga, hmm, the school of yoga, the Astanga Yoga, or the Yoga Sutras, or very closely related Sankhya, these are the Indian darshans or philosophies of antiquity that all speak about consciousness, that all speak about a subtle form of matter, a mental form of matter, and a physical form of matter, and so forth. And then you take bhakti, and particularly Gaudiya bhakti. You will find that in Gaudiya bhakti you have the most robust sense of self. I'll tell you what I mean by that. But often I speak about the goal of, let's say, of jnana, yoga, and bhakti. Hmm? They're all transcendental paths. They have as their goals par- Brahman, classically speaking, Paramatma, and Bhagavan. Hmm? So, we say simply, what's better to exist to love or to love to exist? To contrast the, the jnana and the bhakti. It's better to love, better to exist to love. Hmm. Okay, that's so. The goal is better. You can make a picture like this that the goal is more attractive. The other way to talk about it is, what is the nature of the self? Because the self will be realized in its full potential in the goal. So, if we look at, for example, the school of Advaita, if we look at the school of Yoga. Hmm, we look at the school of bhakti, in particular Gaudiya bhakti. We find the, in bhakti the most robust sense of self. That sense of self is most like the sense of self that we presently experience. We have an illusory sense of self. We think we are this body, right? And we have a mind. We think we have a mind. And we think we are. We are. We think we are this body. We are this mind. And then we have all these 
qualitative experiences like happy, sad, red, blue, these subjective experiences of life. We have awareness of ourself. We can reflect on ourself and we can reflect on other things. So we feel that we are, by nature, we have apprehension, the ability to apprehend or, or be aware, self-awareness, or I could shed light on other things, be aware of them. But as I say, I'm, that I'm, I, I'm an enjoyer. Natritva, hmm? Bokritva, I'm a knower, an apprehender. Hmm? I have awareness. I'm a Bokritva, uh, I'm an enjoyer. It means I'm a sufferer too, but it means I can experience qualitative experiences, qualia, they call it in science. Happiness, sadness, red, blue, green, pink, sweet, sour, all these subjective experiences. Hmm? We think we are an enjoyer, we are a knower, and we are an actor, a doer. We do things, we know things, and we feel things. Hmm? Nobody would argue. That's what we think we're like. Mm-hmm. Right? That self, that illusory self, is most like the actual self as described in bhakti. And it is most different mm-hmm. from, on a scale, from up to down, the self as explained in the classical texts of yoga or Sankhya and of Advaita and of Buddhism. That self we now experience is least like the self that's explained in Buddhism, a little more like the self in Advaita, a little more like the self in yoga, and completely like the self as explained in bhakti. This is a very interesting point. Hmm? You follow me? Hmm? In other words, what is the self in Buddhism? Well, it doesn't exist. There is no self. Hmm? It's thought in Buddhism... I mean, there are many schools of Buddhism. And I have, in more recent times learned about a school of Buddhism that posits, posits a self, but it's very obscure, not the common fare. Hmm? But the common fare is, there is no self. It's a voidistic hmm, uh, idea. It's the idea that matter has two categories, mental matter and physical matter. Hmm? And somehow this mental matter, um, I guess, can somehow move itself in such a way as to imagine a self that identifies with this particular transformation of the world. All the things are constantly transforming. The house becomes a garbage pile, becomes food, becomes excrement becomes something else. Everything's for animals or insects or whatever. You understand? Everything's transforming. Right? Now this is wood. What happens to it after the termites eat it? I don't know. But it's we can't use it as wood anymore. Right? So the world is constantly in transformation. Matter is constantly in flux. But the idea is something like somehow this fluctuation hmm, gets caught up and the subtle matter, where there's thought, thinks, I'm an individual. I'm separate from, the, from everything that's transforming. So the idea in Buddhism, this is a very simplistic explanation, of course, but it is to, is to overcome that and stop in and, and this mental matter from that idea which takes you from body to body 
Hmm? Reincarnation is in a subtle body, the mental matter, and you're supposed to end that reincarnation. So you you stop seeing yourself as different from everything. In other words, you are the wood. You are the termite. You are whatever the wood turns into after the termite eats it. And you are the stone. You are the... So there's a, there is no self. Now, you try to tell that to somebody who thinks, I'm a knower, I'm a doer, I'm a feeler. I'm a causal agent. I cause things to happen. Um, that's like, whoa. Uh, this is what your idea of spiritual life is, that it would be better. All you can say is that there's problems with being a doer, a knower, and a feeler. Hmm? And we could admit, yeah, there are problems with it that we're experiencing. Hmm? So do away with the knowing. Do away with the doing. Do away with the feeling. Hmm? That's rather nihilistic. Hmm? Um, so Buddhism will try today to be less nihilistic by way of speaking about it differently and so forth. But this is really the, the bottom line. It's voidistic, it's nihilistic. It's, it's like the zero that I talk about that seems positive in relation to negative numbers. The negative numbers is the doing, the knowing, and the feeling that we're involved in that's problematic. But the question is, is the doing, the knowing, and the feeling the problem? Or is it what we're doing, knowing, and feeling? And, in, and it's in relation to something. You have to feel in relation to something. You have to do in relation to something. You have to know in relation to something. That something is matter, the material energy. It's mental and it's physical um, categories. We are involved with that. We are entangled with that. And we're doing, we're knowing, we're feeling in relation to that. So the Bhakti school says that's the problem, not the doing, not the knowing, not the feeling. To do away with the doing, the knowing, and the feeling hmm, is, from the Bhakti perspective, worse than uh, at, at worse than, uh, than 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 doing, knowing, and feeling in the wrong way. Hmm? You understand? It's like a suicide. Hmm? Doing, knowing, feeling is the problem. Stop these things. Nirvana. Nirvana. To blow out, it means. It's, 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 it's self-annihilating. No self. There's a central theme of Buddhism. No self. No self. No self. It's very, in a very abstract sense, no self. Now, when you go to Advaita, thought to be the primary school of Gyan, what do you find? There is something called consciousness. It's not just two categories of matter, mental and physical, like in Buddhism. There's something called consciousness. In fact, there's only consciousness. There is no mental or physical matter in any real sense of the term. There are only appearances. And along with it, there's an appearance of an individual self. But if we do away with those appearances, and again, in the Dvaita, there's also no self. Slight difference. In Buddhism, there's no self. In the Dvaita, there is one self. Just one. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't know anything. It doesn't feel anything. Sound attractive? Not at all, right? It's not a doer. It's not a knower. And it's not a feeler. Because doing, knowing, and feeling require something to do, someone to know, something to feel. So what is it? This, their idea of Brahman, we have a different idea of Brahman, but this is the Dwight idea of Brahman. It's just... Awareness. What's the content of the awareness? Like if I'm aware of this floor, the floor is the content 
of my consciousness. This, this the computer screen is like the awareness, and then th certain things come on it that are the content of the awareness, for example. So in, in Advaita, what is the content of the awareness? Nothing. You figure it out. Contentless awareness. Is that just word jugglery or what? You understand? Contentless awareness. The, the example that they try to draw upon to illustrate this is deep sleep. In deep sleep there's no content, but you're still there. In dreamy sleep there's content, there's mental content. In the waking state there's physical content on the screen of your consciousness. In deep sleep there's no thought going on, there's no physical movement going on, but you're still there. So, this is the example of, to give some example of what their idea of Brahman is like. Just to deep sleep. I'm tired, I'm real tired, and I'm just going to go to sleep and hope, wake up. But I do want to wake up. <laughs> I want to go to sleep and wake up and hope it didn't happen like that, something like that. But instead, just go to sleep. I'm just going to go to sleep. And it's going to be restful. It's going to be peaceful. So there's a slight difference here between Buddhism and the idea of the self and Dvaita. It's a restful self and there's no self. And there's only one self. There's no individual self. We like to hear that we're individuals. Yeah. Right. Hmm? In, that's not a case in Dvaita. That's not a case in Buddhism. There is no self. There's one self. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't know anything doesn't feel anything. Now we go to yoga. What is the self in yoga? The self in yoga, Siddhanta, is that there are, first of all, there, there are selves. Come a long distance. There are real selves and there are many of them. Many selves. Okay? We are. We're all individuals. It's sounding more friendly now. More like our present experience. Easier to identify with. And the self is also a qualitative experiencer. It has qualitative experiences. It says that matter, without consciousness, can't produce qualitative experiences. But, it says... It's not a it's it's not a a doer. It's motionless, and it's it is it is a witness only. It just witnesses. Sits still and witnesses. By its witnessing, matter matter moves, and it it's it, 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 it it's not a doer. So it's a self, but it's not quite like us. Now, you go to bhakti, and go to Chaitanya bhakti in particular, and here you find the self is a doer, self is a knower, and the self is an experiencer, a qualitative, an enjoyer. It's all these things, just like we feel that we are now. Exactly like that, hmm? and it, but it, 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 all of these qualities of the self that are potentials, potential to be a knower, to be a doer, to be a feeler, hmm? all come out when there's something to do, to move in relation to, something to feel, something to know, and so rather than knowing, doing, feeling in relation to the Maya Shakti. We're knowing, doing, feeling in relation to the Sarup Shakti. And so, just like what you feel you are now, that's what you are. Very, very, so it's very uh, 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 easy to identify with. People, you know, grab onto different 
Eastern ideas sometimes today in the popular marketplace without thinking through what they're really saying about the self. Prabhupada, in a simple way, would emphasize your individuals and would go, yes, I'm an individual. I like that idea. Right. Hmm? Now, of course, we're not the individual that we think we are, that's timid, that's proud, that's thin or fat or whatever, tall or short or Costa Rican or Finnish or Polish or, or, or what, anything like that. These are all ideas that come from our identification with matter and so forth. But when we identify with bhakti, then personality comes out in relation to bhakti. Hmm? And it's eternal and so on and so forth. So, But it's just like the person here. Hmm? So it's very user-friendly. So you have a very robust or full sense of self hmm? in in Chaitanya Bhakti by far in comparison to these other uh, transcendental schools of Eastern thought within the broad banner of Hinduism Buddhism is really an outgrowth of Hinduism also hmm? um, and of course all those things are required doing, knowing, feeling are all required for loving to the extent that you don't have those as inherent qualities in yourself how can you love? If you can't do, if you're not a doer, how can you love? If you can't feel, how can you love? If you can't apprehend and know there's somebody there, hmm, how can you love? That's why Buddhism, Advaita, Yoga, they're not schools of love. They deny qualities in the self that are required for loving. Hmm? It's not just we're making this up, you know, some sectarian idea. You look at the teaching, and you see, and, and then, and, and there's also the question of how can the jiva be in the condition that it's in now if it's not a doer, not a knower, and not a feeler? If you look carefully at that, you think, well, you have to be these things to be an illusion. You have to be someone to be absorbed in the illusion. Hmm. There's a false self that has to rest on a real self. Hmm. Let's let's say you're not a doer. If your philosophy is that the self is not an agent of action, has no agency, what happens to moral morality? What is the place of morality? Now, can you be responsible if you're not an actor? You, it, 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 it eats away at the heart of moral responsibility. I didn't do it. If, you, if the self is not a doer, this is the question. You look carefully at Yoga Siddhanta and you think, well, there's no moral responsibility for the self. So... Morally responsible people, you throw that in the trash. Hmm? If the self is a doer, then it has more responsibility. And also, the scriptures make sense then. Because if I say to you, if you do this, this will be bad for you, do this will be good for you, but I'm not the doer. All that doing is just going on by matter. Matter's just doing it. It's not me. Then where's, does that make any sense to talk to me to do this and don't do that? It only makes sense if I have some um, capacity to do, to act. So, our conditioned life and our liberative life hmm, really depend upon the kind of self that is described in, in, in Chaitanya Bhakti. Hmm? This is a good argument. So, given that, that the self is more robust hmm? in, in Gaudiya Vedanta. There's no restriction on the devotees for telling the karmis, you should not act in that way. Because rather than the jnanis who are telling them you shouldn't act, act you, actually the actions you're doing are not you, it's only the material nature. Hmm? 
material nature has some action, but it's activated by the self. Hmm? And, and and the self is not a doer and is a, and is a doer. There, are, it turns material nature on. It does things, hmm? but the self is also a doer inherently, as I'm explaining. So the jnanis say, well, all this is just illusion. Hmm? You're not the actor. Hmm? You should stop acting. But the person's attached to acting and doing feeling and so forth. In bhakti we say, you're the doer, you're the feeler, you're the knower, ultimately, and you just have to do them in this way. You act in this way, and you will feel in this way, and you'll know in this way. Hmm? So it's a good fit. In other words, because we have a more robust sense of self, it's more like the experience of the illusioned Jiva pursuing material acquisition and so forth. So it's just a simple, hey, do it for Krishna, love Krishna. Hmm? Um, and so you you can continue in your kind of normal sense of flow of, of what I am. Hmm? Just to come in and say, stop all this. Like, it's too jarring. Hmm? disturbing. So there's no prohibition for devotees to go and change the faith of people and to minister to them, if you will, about about bhakti. And as I'm explaining, it's much more user-friendly. In the beginning stages, of course, it would be very similar to ordinary life. Gradually, knowledge will come and the material personality will be dissolved and replaced with the spiritual personality and so forth. But this is going on simultaneously. Material personality is being dissolved and a spiritual personality is is developing. So you don't lose a step. You just become a blissful person. A real knowing person. And a person who does or acts in, in, in a meaningful way. So, for jnanis, they should not disturb the faith of the fruitive workers. But devotees, they're offering them different fruits, so to speak. These fruits are bitter. Don't take them. Take the fruits of bhakti. Act in this way. You understand? Yeah. Otherwise, um, faith is difficult to, um, they say, to... To, to build build faith, but easy to tear down. So, um, there is a sense in which faith kind of in an overarching sense is good. People say, well, at least he believes it. Hmm? There's some Thomistic faith. At least he believes in it. So there's some sense of it that there's virtue to believing. Hmm? Hmm. So there's, there's some truth. Some truth to that. I mean, obviously it can be misapplied, and it's, that's not the whole picture. Hmm? But. Um, And there's an overarching kind of virtuous nature to faith in general. Again, it, it makes the world go round. It animates the world. person is their faith. Mind is, 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 is a product of ankar and sattva. So, so in, you know, in, in that sense, in a broader sense, then... Um, there is a place for, well, that's his faith. Can't change that. Even a devotee will work with it, so to speak, hmm. rather than trying to destroy it altogether. Will tend to work with it because hmm. it is the person. You understand? So, um, you know, different times it will be more confrontational in in in. in 
in discussion and, and so on and so forth, making making points. But there's a there is some space, I think, in general for okay, the guy believes like that. She thinks she really believes like that. So let's work with that in some way. Talk about it rather than they make an affront against her faith altogether. That would be probably not a very wise way to share um, your own faith. So, so maybe, you know, I'm trying to stretch my imagination to think how to answer to something that I don't think anybody said, but you said and read and thought you read. Um, it's demonic to destroy somebody's faith. You could see how it is an affront on the person, an affront, an affront, an attack on the person themselves. They are their faith. So we're we're a little, should be a little gentle about that. Firm at times, but but gentle and approach should be, should be um, thoughtful. Something like that, but otherwise, we are faith makers, not faith breakers. Basically, hmm. fact is, unfortunately, as it may be, that faith that arises from the sattva guna, tamva guna, rajaguna. Well, rajaguna and sattva tamva guna, they can be, they will be destroyed. They, they, they can't. It's, it's not maintainable, so to speak. It's, it's um, sattvic faith. That's a different mm, faith in Shastra, faith um, in uh, in subtle subtle matter. Sattvas is uh, high end, so it corresponds with of material life. So it corresponds with knowledge and so forth. That has more enduring capacity mm, faith, but still. Um, Transcendental faith, if you will, that can produce a transcendental result. Sattvic faith itself cannot. So all these lower faiths, at any rate, faiths that arise out of the influence of the material nature, you know, they have a duration. They have a life. They they're not. They're not. They don't afford an eternal life. So. They're going to die out on their own, so to speak. So you can make the point. We're faith givers in one sense. If, uh, without divine faith, there's, there's, there's no faith, there's no life. No real enduring life. So we are not faith breakers, we are faith, faith givers. The real, the full face of faith we're giving. The shadows of faith we're replacing by bringing people into the light of faith. And just see hmm, what you are, just what you think you are. You are a knower, a doer, a feeler. Hmm? That doesn't require much faith. Hmm? But the fact that you're doing, knowing, and feeling in a way that's troublesome, that doesn't require much faith either. So to do, to know, and to feel in a different way. Hmm? That's how we change their faith. Not too much. You keep the structure in place, the building, you just change the foundation. <laughs> That's all. <laughs> just jack up the building a little bit and quick, put another stone in there. <laughs> okay, there you go. Everything's fine. Uh, something might look like the building is going to crash, but that's why you need an expert person to lift up the building and put another, take the old stone out, put a new stone in. Does that help? <laughs> what else? I have a question. Yes. Um, it's not related about what you just talked about, Roman Raj, but I was thinking, um, what what is it when a devotee goes into ecstasy? Mm -hmm. Like, what what is it? Do does the soul go anywhere? And if so, like. When Chaitanya Mahaprabhu went into this state, what was he thinking of, or what was happening? Like, right, right. Well, there are different degrees of that ecstasy, but I think the word ecstasy itself means something like beyond the senses. Mm -hmm. 
So, um, so we have sensual experiences from the world, and these are other worldly experiences beyond them. What cannot be derived from the senses in touch with sense objects alone. Mm-hmm. Um, so, in bhakti, of course, we bring the senses in touch with spiritual sense objects, with Krishna's name, Krishna's form, Krishna's leelas, and so forth, on our minds, and so on. And so, because the um, the, the, the sense objects, in this case, are spiritual, mm-hmm. then we can get an experience even though we're using the senses, that takes us beyond the senses. Because the object itself is, is, is beyond the material senses. Therefore it said, Atashi Krishna Namadi Namabhadgrahimindri With the material senses, you cannot know Krishna. So that's a very important point, because that means, excuse me, that bhakti descends and comes onto our senses and then uses our senses, so to speak. Hmm. And that's sadhana bhakti. So, engaging in bhakti with the senses. That means that bhakti-influenced senses, they can experience Krishna, but material senses cannot. Hmm. So, and Krishna is, of course, Transcendental to matter. Matter is asat. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Right? It's it doesn't know anything, and it doesn't have any ananda, any joy in it. Hmm? So Krishna is sachid ananda, hmm? and he has a, his his own sarup shakti, which is full of ananda, ladini full of knowing, some bit full of super special existence that provides the Dham. It's called Sandini. So, this is a whole, it means that there's a whole world of ecstasy. Hmm? whole realm of ecstasy. A whole experiential realm beyond the world of material sense objects and material senses. Hmm? In the Leela of Krishna, there's different kinds of movements. If you look at Sakiras, and you look at Madhurya Rasa, and you look at Vatsali Rasa, there are different kinds of things that they do, movements, ways they conduct themselves, and so forth. These are described as Anubhavas. Bhavas are all ecstasies. So they're, kind, they're, they're, they're clouds in Goloka. They don't rain, they cry. For example, they're in Sakyarasa. They they have likeness to Krishna. Rain clouds, they have the same color as him. They're decorated with lightning, bakiyas, with a golden golden dhoti. So they're conceived of as being in Sakyarasa. So there's all kind of things there, but they're all made out of Satchitananda. Hmm? So they're all knowing, and they're full of Ananda, hmm? and it's a very so it's a very special kind of existence. It's a trans-spatial space. Now, space has limitations. There's a space that has no limitations. It's a place where there's time. There's no beginning or end. There's a sequence of events, but there's no beginning or end. Everything's eternal. So it's peculiar. So, when we go into ecstasy, it depends hmm, what you'll experience. One of the things you'll experience first is that freedom from the mind and the oppression of the senses the mind calls on you to be busy to do things. Hmm? And the senses are active to carry out those things. The first experience of ecstasy is that, this is the very beginning, is that one experience is that 
I don't have any other thoughts. I'm happy, just like this. And I don't feel I need to do anything. And I like this chanting. I'm chanting, and I can just do this, and everything that I thought this morning was really important, it's not important. It has no importance. Freedom from the oppression of the mind and the senses, which is not a life of ecstasy. Life of the mind and the senses is not, it's a life of worries, concerns, fending for oneself. Um, you're on the defense, struggling to exist, and so forth. End of all of that. Hmm. So the mind becomes peaceful. You can just sit and... And you feel a kind of knowing everything's okay. Everything's the way it's supposed to be. Hmm. And joyful. And you may cry. But all the suffering is over. The world of problems is over. It's ending. I experience it's ending. I know everything. And I know nothing. And it's okay. I know that it's okay not to know everything, just to be content, knowing I am like this, of this nature. What am I like? I tried to be this, I tried to be that, and all the time I was more than any of those things. Could be, even if I did them perfectly. Hmm? Oh, what a relief. So it's a huge relief. This is like Admananda. The joy of the ecstasy of the self, hmm? and it, it, so you, you you feel a kind of joy that knows no no bounds. It's not like anything that you got from touching this, from winning the game, from hearing your favorite song. Those are like semblances only. This it makes all of them seem just pale and insignificant, meaningless. Hmm? Now our Atmananda joy of the self is invariably going to be experienced in a context of bhakti ananda because we are cultivating bhakti. Hmm. So we feel ecstasy of relief from the body and mind as, the, as we progress and there are impressions, oppression and then also some uh, shadow of the ecstasy of, of fully developed bhakti. Mm -hmm. And so you feel some affection for Krishna, some attachment to the chanting mm -hmm, and so forth. Um, and again, they, they, it will feel like, like waves, like waves, like you're melting. Hmm? Oh, the constructs of the mind are, are melting, and the positive prospect is coming. This is indescribable, but I mean, I'm just giving some. Some you're asking me to describe it, hmm. right? Hmm. As the bhakti deepens, and you want to talk about Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and so forth. Well, he is becoming oblivious to the external world, hmm? and. His body, the body, let's say the body of the devotee is, the self is said to be activating these airs within the body, pran. There are different kinds of life airs. Pran is the central idea. It, it, there's a certain functioning for the, well, how many airs of the body are there? Six or something like that? Anyway, self is kind of floating on airs in the body. So when a self um, also constituted of air, fire, water, hmm? so when these elements are affected by bhakti, then we get certain um, water, tears come. Hmm? 
um, when the uh, like the air content one becomes stunned. Hmm. All these external symptoms of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu become stunned. His body changes colors, tears coming, herpilation. These are all the way the body reacts in terms of its elemental constituents, according to Sankhya, in relation to the experience of the self within. They look kind of weird hmm, on the outside and maybe even a little frightening. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was always crying. Who wants to be like him? Hmm. He's falling over. You know, he's losing consciousness and so forth. But this is just the way the body expresses itself in relation to the internal feelings of ecstasy. And so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was, as an example of a sadhaka, who is teaching that by his example that 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 ideal that practice and so he goes within and he it has external symptoms and internally he participates in the leela of Krishna in the subjective meditative world so he experiences the leela so Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would, would go unconscious and experience some the Leela, and then the devotees would chant, and he would come to external consciousness, and he'd say, I was with Krishna. I was at Govardhan Hill. The gopis asked me to get some flowers for Radha and Krishna. Why did you wake me up? Why did you bring me here? Where is Krishna? Hmm? So he would experience Krishna Leela and, 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 and the Rasa, which is the combination of all these type of bhavas, Bhava, in the general sense, means ecstasy. So there's Anubhavas, Vibhavas, two kinds of Vibhavas, Alambani Vibhavu, Udipana Vibhav, Sattvika Bhavs, um, Sanchari Bhavs, uh, Stai Bhav. Um, I think I covered them all. All these ingredients together, they make for rasa. Hmm? And, and so there's a world of Rasananda, and he would go in and experience that, hmm. and 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 then then even from that perspective, he would start to see the external world in relation to the internal world. Hmm. He would see a hill and think that's Godan. Where are the cows? Krishna must be coming. Hmm. He would see a body of water, think that's the Jamuna. Hmm and try to jump in. So he, this is the Adidaivic perspective. He would see the internal world in the external world. So his bhava, he would see a stone and say, that, that, there's Krishna, just see. And you look, I guess. So then you want to, you want to put eyes on him. Abba said was, the stone was, was Krishna. Hmm. That's the beginning devotee who wants to do that. Hmm? The superlative devotee sees the spiritual in the material. Hmm? The beginning devotee tries to validate the spiritual by the material. Make it material, then it will be more real. Hmm? That's his idea. Make it material. Make give it better eyes, and Krishna will be more there. Put a better smile, Krishna will be more there. Hmm. So he requires, she requires that. Hmm. There is simple, kind of literal orientation in which philosophical points are understood, and there's deeper, higher literal orientation where philosophical points are understood, and then there's in between. Adhyatmic, Adhidaivic perspective. Adhibotic perspective means the, the truths are understood with intellectual integrity and in relation to other thought and, and so forth. It's non-literal. Adhyatmic is literal, Adhidaivic is literal, Adhibotic is non-literal. Anyway, that's sort of going a little off on a different course there, but hmm, the ecstatic devotee Hmm. 
experiences not only the self, but the self in relation to Krishna, ultimately finds himself participating, is, is blessed with a form, internal form, to participate in the Leela internally. Externally, it's showing up in a different way. Hmm? Internally, this was his experience. Does that help? So you can imagine, let's say, oh, I've got some ecstasy, and I feel like, oh, I'm relieved from my mind, my, the call of my senses. I can just sit, and it's so, it's blissful. Like, like nothing, if I took all of the ways of enjoying materially and put them in a big syringe and injected myself, it wouldn't compare to what I'm experiencing now. The whole world loses any charm. This is ecstasy. This is just the beginning. Now, if, as a result of your culture of that ecstasy, you're actually participating in another world altogether, then how much less does the world have any meaning? Therefore, if you're in relation to it, you can only see it in relation to the world that you're experiencing. Hmm? Do you understand? He's so, so removed from the external world of sense indulgence and the misery of all that. Hmm? Not by just stopping the mind and experiencing the self or its inherent qualities, such it ananda, but because he's actually participating in a spiritual world. He's got a spiritual body. This is his orientation. Then, if he's still in proximity of the world amongst us, he's going to see that world again in relation to his. So everything becomes a source of ecstasy for him, practically. He see, he projects the spiritual world on the material world. The beginning of devotee tries to project the material world on the spiritual world. Oh, it must be like this. It must be like this. It must be at all using your material examples and and so forth. And that's your frame of reference. You have to think of it like that. And make it, it has to be concrete and linear and. So, so on. Does that help? Yes, All right. Now we'll stop there. Shri Shri Krishna Balaram Jai Jai. Gauri Vaishnava Guru Parampara Ki Jai. Gaur Bhakta Vrinda Ki Jai. Gaur Premanam Dei.